Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke 21. Luke 21. Here we go again. And uh, so we've been talking about the remnant and being the remnant church. You know, we've been talking about this the last two weeks, but talking about it also in the context that there is a shaking going on. And what do I mean by that? Well, Peter said that for the time has come, really that word is an occasion has come, a season has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And that's true on the family level. It's going to be true individually. It's also true corporately. I've been witnessing and watching whole churches being shaken. And, uh, and we, don't, we don't celebrate or like any time when judgment does occur. But God is evaluating, judging, and cleansing. Not because He's angry, but He is preparing. The sands are falling through the hourglass and there's only a little bit left. And He must and He will have a people who will do His will in His time frame. And uh, so I continue to admonish you and encourage you as your pastor to not in a condemning way, but to check yourself out. Are you living a clean life? Are you living a holy life? Are you living a faithful life? Uh, Are you properly connected to the local church? Are you bringing your supply? Are you in the perfect will of God for your life? Amen. Uh, Are you walking in love in your home? Are you being a sweet husband? Are you being a faithful wife? Are you being an honorable child? Amen. Uh, You need to judge yourself in the words you're speaking. Amen. So I'm just telling you, if you've got a hatch that's not batting down, you ought to get it that way or water's going to start flooding in. And then everybody's going to see who got wet. Amen. And, uh, but uh, we've been talking the last two weeks about uh, what the Bible teaches about life on planet earth for the church, what believers will be enduring and facing and all of that kind of thing right at the moment that the church is caught away. And so we've looked at that from a couple of different perspectives and uh, evidently just looking from our our views uh, out there, kind of organic views out there on last week's teaching. A lot of people are interested in Harpazo. A lot of people are interested in the catching away of the church. It's one of our most highly viewed, if not the, high, the highest viewed video I've seen since the year began. So people are interested in what the Bible says about the catching away of the church. And uh, so I want to uh, take you another step in this. Amen. And uh, I I pray that you'll be as thrilled and as excited about it as I am. You know, the Bible did not give end time signs to his disciples to scare us uh, or to, uh, you know, for anything other than to let us know how much he loves us, how much he cares about us, uh, how wonderful his plan is, how faithful he is. And he doesn't want us as his children to ever be caught by surprise. Now, the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour, but the Bible does say, for you have no need that I write unto you concerning the times and the seasons, for you know them fully well. That's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. I kind of paraphrase that. In other words, we may not know, Brother X, the day or the hour, amen, that the church is going to be caught away, but we will know the season. We will have an awareness. Some people won't be able to put their finger on it, but some of us will say, man, there's just something in the air. We are just, it's just, woo, honey, you got your backpacks. Let's stay really close because if we want to go hand in hand, you know, we better, st- st- you know, stay close by as much as we can. We're about to get caught up, be caught away. And so last week we talked about the great escape. Amen. Uh, today we're going to talk about beholding the fig tree or the sign of the fig tree and what the fig tree is meant to tell us about seeing and therefore knowing. Jesus said, we're about to read it, that when you see what I'm telling you to look for, then you will know. See, God wants us to be able to know some things. When you see this, you will know. Isn't that great? That we don't have to wonder. We can just take Jesus at His word. When you see this happen... You know. Let's dive into this for a few minutes here because we know how fast time goes. Luke 21, uh, verse number 34. uh, No, excuse me. uh, Verse number 29, rather. 
Jesus said, now remember he'd been talking for a number of verses here about signs and the destruction of the temple and just all kinds of different things. And now he's shifting gear and he says in verse 29, then he spoke to them a parable. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Mm-hmm. So it's, you have to look for the heavenly meaning in the earthly story. In other places, you know, it's in Matthew 10, 13 or 13, 10. don't remember which right now. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus one day, why do you do this? Why don't you just come out and talk plain? Why do you teach in parables? Well, and the basic reason was that Jesus taught in parables because people out there, he's talking to a big crowd, and not everybody in that crowd, is their hearts are right or sincere. But some were. So as he taught in a parable, a right heart unlocks the key to the mystery of the parable. Amen. They'll get it. But people in the crowd who have a wrong heart, they're there to trip him up. They have ulterior motives. They will not see the mystery, the secret of the kingdom that is hidden in that earthly story. Amen. And so we are wanting, he's about to drop on us a secret, a spiritual mystery that we can know in this earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so he says, look at the fig tree. Everyone say, behold the fig tree. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see, uh uh-oh, see that? You see and know. Now, Brother Hagin prophesied more than once that in the last days there will be a tremendous spirit of seeing and knowing on the church uh-huh. in the last day. Yeah. Well, this, this is a, one, of these, one of many verses that could substantiate a spirit of seeing and knowing coming on the church in the last days. Mm-hmm. It's not just the spiritual manifestation of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, but it's, it's expanded revelation coming to God's people who are living in the time of the fulfillment of the events he's talking about. Now, I don't want to go too fast. Are y'all tracking with me today? Okay. You remember church is school. All right. Praise God. And uh, so when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, Matthew records it this way. Jesus said, know that the kingdom is near, yea, at the door. And so if you invited me over for your Father's Day barbecue that I know you're having that you didn't give me an invitation to. <laughs> and uh, if I was at the door about to knock, how close am I? Uh, really close. So Matthew said, when you see the fig tree bud, come on, you will see and you will know that the kingdom of heaven is near, yay, At the door. That is how close. When you see the fig tree sign, the kingdom of God is at the doorstep. Ooh, come on. Hallelujah. Then he goes on in verse 32 and said, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation. What generation? The generation that sees the fig tree sign. This generation that sees this, come on, will by no means pass away until all things take place. So eventually, if we're going to be Bible believers, this verse is going to have an expiration date. And it's going to have to be fulfilled in the, when those circumstances show up. Otherwise, the Bible's a lie. <laughs> the generation that sees the fig tree budding... Are you with me? That generation will by no no means pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Let me read to you a nugget uh, out of this passage from the, uh, the Weymouth translation. Uh, The Weymouth translates verse 31 this way. So also when you see these things happening, you may be sure the kingdom of God is near. He says, I tell you in a solemn truth that that present generation will certainly not pass away without all these things first having taken place. Amen. 
So I'm going to give you just a moment or two. I've allotted about 10 or 15, you know, 15 minutes in my thinking. Just a little, lay this foundation before I give you the meat of this, right? But what you need to know is the fig tree is national Israel. And the other trees are the Gentile nations. So when, and every one of these Jews, this is why he didn't need to explain it. Every one of those Jews knew when he said, behold, the fig tree, he knew. They all knew what he meant. He didn't mean the little literal fig tree. He, it's a parable, right? And he knew, they knew, a Jew would know, come on, that Israel and the fig tree are linked together. Israel is typed in the Old Testament repeatedly as a fig tree. Really, there are three plants or trees that are connected as symbols to Israel. The vine, the fig tree, and the olive tree. One of those uh, types is like the fig tree is always a type not only of Israel, but national Israel and Israel's national privileges with God. Amen. The olive tree is always symbolic of national Israel's, excuse me, of Israel's spiritual blessing, spiritual heritage. And the vine, I'd have to recall from the stack of notes I have, but it has another meaning. Okay? Probably as a relational type. Okay? Y'all with me? Now turn over into Acts chapter 3 real quick. I want to read a verse to you. So Jesus said, Hallelujah, behold the fig tree. means look at it. And when you see the fig tree bud... Well, what's he mean? He's saying, when you see national Israel bud and begin to sprout leaves, naturally, when you begin to see buds on your trees, you know winter is passing. Spring and summer are coming. They're, they're sure to come. So this is Jesus' point. So in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, Peter, under the anointing of the Spirit, stands up and preaches. And in the midst of his sermon, he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord, or from the presence of the Lord. You know, if you're not really experiencing God's presence, maybe because you have something you need to repent of. Oh. God doesn't seem real to you and your prayer, prayer time seems chronically dry. Maybe you ought to start repenting. Right. Repentance comes before revival. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants to bring us seasons of refreshing from His presence and that He may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. That's a reference to the second coming, my friends. Verse 21, whom heaven, talking about Jesus, must receive I would translate it retain or keep. Heaven is going to keep our Jesus up there. Until. Until is a time sensitive word. Until what? Until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Well, the holy prophets He's referring to primarily are the Old Testament prophets. Are you with me? And primarily, not exclusively, but primarily what those holy men of God prophesied about was things pertaining to Israel. Amen. Now I know we're busy and we're contemporary and we know us and not a lot of believers in history in this young generation. But this is why I'm going to take time to teach you this. Amen. Because Jesus said there is a final sign. There is a definitive sign. And when you see this sign happen, the clock starts and there's a generation that is not going to pass away until all of these things I've talked about in this chapter are fulfilled. Amen. And it has to do with Israel. So we have to have our eye on Israel. People want to say, uh, people that believe in kingdom now and uh, replacement theology, false, false ideologies want to say that Israel has no more significance today uh, prophetically in the plan of God. They're lying about it. They're deceived. God bless them. I don't know what's going on with them, but they're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. The covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, read it, is an everlasting covenant. It has no expiration date. Amen. So 
heaven is going to keep our Jesus until the times of the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of His holy prophets. So, when you talk about the budding of the fig tree, amen, and that tree beginning to bud and beginning to blossom, you have this plant picture of a plant that is coming into its own. This is pictured here in Acts chapter 3 as the prophetic ongoing restoration of national Israel back in, as a nation, back into their land and their people and their religion and their culture being restored. This is the sign of the fig tree. Are you with me so far? Hallelujah, because if I lose you along the way here, you'll have to catch me after. Now, you don't, we're not going to go there, but you might jot down Isaiah 49, verse 6. I want to read this to you. It's just a great singular verse to, to tell the world what God's plan for Israel has always been. Why did God choose a special people? Why did God raise up a special people? Why does God single out a nation and call them His own? Why did He do that? He has a purpose. What is that purpose? I'm going to let you know. It says, indeed, God says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you, may, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So right there, there's two nuggets. God's fundamental plan in raising up the nation of Israel is to be a light to you. Gentile means goy, goy means nation, pagan nation. To a Jew, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile or a goy or a pagan because you don't, in their mind you don't have a covenant with God. We do have a covenant with God, not because we're Gentile, but because we are born again. Amen. Why did God raise up the 12 tribes of Israel? Why did He make a nation out of them? To be a light. In other words, what's that mean? Let me help you. It means God wants to show you something through Israel. God wants you to learn some things about God by looking at Israel. If you don't pay attention to Israel, you're going to miss some things. God has a light and He has a lesson. He's got something for you to know, something for you to learn about His ways. Come on, think about our faith that we live today is rooted in Judaism. Most of the text of your Bible is Old Testament. That's where it comes from. You know, Paul, we hold him up. You know what he is? A Jew's Jew. You know what Jesus was? A Jew. You know what Peter was? A Jew. James? Jew. <laughs> Are you with me? So God raised up Israel as a light. God's light to the world. I mean, how do we know? How do we know that the God above thinks that adultery is a sin and stealing is bad and that there's only one God? Why? Because Israel shined a light of the Ten Commandments. That's how we know. So Israel's a light. Number two, th think about this. It says, you, national Israel, are my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, how's that possible? Because it's through the lineage of Abraham that the Messiah came forth, our Savior. Amen. So you with me in that? Israel's hugely, hugely important. Amen. Uh, praise God to the plan of God. Now, let me give you a little insight as part of my foundation thing. I'm checking, I'm on, on track here. About the fig tree, just the fig tree. Because he said, behold the fig tree. Well, in Israel, the fig tree uh, is a bush-like tree. And uh, I don't, I've never eaten a fig except for in the middle of a Fig Newton. And I like Fig Newton. It's been a long time since I had one. It's one of my favorite cookies back in the day. It's a, a Fig Newton. Amen. And that's about my only experience uh, with a fig. But when you study the fig tree, a fig tree typically has two seasons. It will bear fruit twice. You get a crop of figs off the fig tree twice in Israel. Amen. So they have a spring harvest, or the first harvest, and then they have a fall harvest, which happens sometime after August. Go over with me. I think this. I think you'd be worth turning here. Go to Jeremiah 24. Is this okay? Yeah. I hope y'all are not bored. 
I mean, you just hang with me because we're going to be a rocket that takes off and you're going to be shouting before this is over. But you have to, you have to learn a few things. And, you know, for the, the modern church, for the most part, they've gotten away from all their Sunday schools and Christian education. and People don't know their Bible very well. And so I have to give you a little bit of uh, understanding so that you can go with me. So Jeremiah 24, look at verse 1. It says, the Lord showed me, talking to the prophet Jeremiah, there were two baskets of what? Two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. Skip down to verse 2. One basket had very good figs. Everyone say very good figs. Like figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very bad figs. One translation says naughty. I think King James says they were naughty figs. <laughs> okay, the other basket had very bad figs which, were, uh, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. And so the Lord said to me in verse 3, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and he goes talking about Israel's business. All right? So do you see here there's a good fig and a bad fig? There's a good fig and there's a naughty fig. Okay? Well, when you study the agriculture of the plant, uh, the... Uh, the first spring harvest or opportunity to eat a fig off a fig tree in Israel, these are figs where the branches and the, the, the fruit-bearing part of that branch survived somehow the winter. And so these uh, fruits, these fig fruits, are growing on the old wood from the previous season. And around April, they are good enough to eat, maybe. But they're remnant figs from the... And they're not as good. They are the naughty fig. They are the bad fig. The first season. Now, these, these, this opportunity would happen in April. Now, think about Mark 11. Think about Jesus and His disciples on the road to Bethany. Think about Jesus being hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves. Now, one of the unique traits about the fig tree is that the fruit-bearing blossom appears before the leaves. On our apple tree, you have leaves far before you ever have a fruit-bearing flower. Right? So this is sort of unique to the fig tree. The fruit-bearing bud and flower blooms before the leaves. So if you're way off and you see a fig tree in full leaf, what would you expect? That tree is telling you I ought to have some fruit on me. So Jesus took time being hungry to go over there. When did He do this? Well, it was right around the time of Passover. Passover happens in April. This is the spring. This is the bad fig. This is the naughty fig. National Israel is the fig tree. Jesus went up to that tree in April. Come on. Expecting to find fruit on the tree. And what's it say? He found none. That tree lied to Him. And so He cursed it. Jesus' first coming to Israel, the fig tree, it had leaves. It had a temple. It had a thriving temple worship. It had, it had all the religion. But it had no fruit on it when Jesus first came. They didn't recognize their Messiah. They were playing religion. They were mired in man-made tradition. And Jesus came to national Israel, the fig tree, and it had lots of pretty leaves on it. I could preach right now. Are you practicing religion? You got leaves on? You look real nice? Or is there any fruit? Woo! On your tree. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Something that looks fruitful, but ain't. Something that looks like the real thing, but it's not. Come on. A lot of churches out there with lights and glitter and smoke machines, they don't have any fruit. Don't have any fruit. What did Jesus do to that tree? He cursed it. Now there's another parable Jesus told about a, vine, a guy that was, uh, he, he said, he walked up to a fig tree and he said, cut this tree down. Remember? Cut this tree down. And the guy that Jesus told in the parable, the keeper of the, the husbandman, the keeper of that particular vineyard said, no, wait, let us 
dig around it, let us dung it or fertilize it, let us do some extra stuff this year, three years worth, and then if it doesn't bear fruit after that, we'll cut it down. Jesus came to Israel and ministered to Israel for three and a half years. They rejected Him, and so on the fourth year, 70, right? Come on, He destroyed Israel. He destroyed the temple, scattered Israel and the Jews into the four corners of the world because they were naughty figs. But there is a second season for figs. Right around the time of the fall feasts, feast of trumpets, in which this fruit is the good fruit. This fruit is the sweet fruit. This is the fruit you want because it's growing on brand new growth, brand new wood branches that have grown that season. There's a freshness, there's a tenderness, there's a newness about it. And in that second coming to the fig tree, Israel will be fruitful. So in that first cursing, I hope you're following me here. They rejected Jesus as their Messiah and blindness descended upon Israel. They were judged. Their temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. And they were scattered to the four corners of the world. And it was that way for 1,948 years. The tree was dug up except for the root in the ground. Listen, never before, kids, never, never, ever before in all of human history has there been a, a nation and a people and a culture that were conquered and defeated and scattered to the four winds that ever, ever gathered back and reclaimed their nation and their culture. Never. It's never happened before as long as there's been a human being on planet Earth. Until the fig tree budded. Jesus said, when you see the fig tree bud. For 1900 years, the Jews were decimated, slaughtered, and persecuted. So much so that when you get into the 1900s, Israel repre Jews represented 0.1 to 0.2% of the world's global population. They were hanging on by a thread. But in, I want to tell you something now. Prophetic signs. We're getting to the fun part. <laughs> Y'all okay? Yeah. Now I know you got to go back a ways. 1917. There's a war going on. World War I. And uh, in, uh, Israel and the land had been ruled for 400 years by Muslims. Called the Turks. The Ottoman Empire. 400 years. Think about that. Was Israel in bondage for another 400 year period? And you're thinking... Egypt. 400 years exactly when you get to 1917. And uh, the Muslims had ruled Jerusalem and what they called Palestine, uh, the land of uh, the geographic land of Israel for 400 years. But the British Christians were on the move. There's a war going on. And in 1917, there's about 150,000 Jews living in the land under Muslim rule. And British armies uh, under the command of a general, George Allenby, uh, approached Jerusalem. And, but they were coming on a prophetic time and his higher up said, we want you to take Jerusalem without firing a shot. We don't want you to destroy any of the old ancient cities and artifacts and all that culture. And so General Allenby is like, what? What? Take this city that has been ruled and conquered by Muslims for 400 years. Take it without firing a shot. And you know what he He goes, I don't think I could do it. What, do you, what is your advice? What would you do? He said, and the guy above him said, pray. And the history lesson I read yesterday said, he did. He prayed. Oh, this is so cool. Are you ready? Turn to Isaiah 31. And this is what God told General Allenby to do. Oh, come on. I never knew this before yesterday. I've never preached this before in my life. I don't know where I've been. Well, like you, ignorant of my history. Are y'all okay? Woo, yeah. hallelujah. Okay, so this is so awesome. God told him, 
your inspiration for this mission is Isaiah 31, verse 4 and 5. Let's read it. It says, For thus the Lord has spoken to me as a lion. Now, I didn't have time to check this yesterday, but isn't the lion a symbol of the British Empire? Okay, thank you. <laughs> as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey, when the multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, He will also deliver it. Passing over it, He will preserve it. And Allenby goes, hmm, there's a new invention. It's called the airplane. The Wright brothers had their first flight in 1903. By, night, by World War I, they were using biplane, the old... You know, airplanes in a limited degree. Most of those Ottoman Turks had never seen an airplane before. So he gets this idea. How cool is God, the symbol of the lion, to arrange for the British? It's only going to get cooler as I tell you this story. So he gets together every airplane in the Middle East he can find. And he has his interpreter write, you know, print up sheets of paper, thousands of leaflets. And on the leaflets, he told the interpreter to write, surrender the city today, Allenby is coming. But the interpreter messed it up. And what he actually wrote on the leaflet in Arabic was, surrender the city today. And then he wrote Allenby's meaning of his name, which is the Son of God cometh. So all of a sudden, these strange birds are flying over Jerusalem, dropping leaflets upon the Arabs that say, Surrender the city today, the Son of God cometh. <laughs> On December the 8th, 1917, at the Jaffa Gate, we'll get to go see it if you want to go. He accepted those Muslim, their surrender. June 8th happened to be the Muslim year 1335. Hold that thought and go to Daniel. Are y'all okay? Are y'all intrigued? Ooh, glory, I get goosebumps. Come on, Jesus. I mean, how, how radical is God? How extreme is God? Like 2,500 years before this happened to talk about a lion flying over Israel. I mean, only God. Right, guys? You see, you know, to our young people and the young generation out there, you know, the devil's, you know, uh, all these Christians, you know, they're, they're so antiquated and backward, all this, you know, don't sleep with a woman and, and, and you know, non, you know, traditional values and that God of yours is so... No, He's the most radical, coolest, awesome. <laughs> you have no idea, my brother, my sister, what you are messing with. Our God is awesome. Daniel chapter 12. So this happened on December 8th, 1917, which corresponded with the Muslim year 1335. <laughs> well, this is right here in your Bible. And it had been for thousands of years before this was uttered. So in verse number... Oh, two, two, two. Let's start in verse 11. In uh, chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Blessed is he who makes it to the 1,335. <laughs> I tell you, it just gets cooler. This also happened to correspond with the Jewish day of a particular Jewish month. It starts with a K, Kirut or something like that, the Jewish month, and the eighth day. Well, in Haggai, talking about rebuilding and the restoration of Israel, three times this 24, it actually was the 24th day, which corresponds, which is a Jewish day that corresponds with this day. Three times in Haggai chapter 2, the 24th day of that month, the day that Allenby is receiving the surrender on the Muslim year of 1335, 
Haggai is prophesying about the restoration of the people, the temple, and the glory coming back to Israel and says, from this day, I'll bless you. And for the Jews in the land of Israel from 1917, from that day, God has been restoring the fig tree. Now, when did the fig tree officially bud? Also, oh, I got to tell you this. You know what happened in America in 1917? Kenneth E. Hagin was born. Do you know what his name Hagin means in Hebrew? The messenger that comes before the coming of the Lord. Just the very same name as John the Baptist. By the way, Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin's mother on the road and said, name your boy John. And she got scared and ran off and forgot to hear the name. Same year. Oh, come on somebody. This is all coincidence. Well, you believe that if you want to. I think you're foolish if you're thinking that way. <laughs> so in 1948, we're up into World War II. And uh, some obviously some terrible, terrible things had happened, but not to the Jews in that land, in the land. Jews in Germany, Jews in Europe, we know what happened to them. You go to Israel with us, we're going to spend about half a day at the uh, uh, Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, and you'll see. But at the time of this happening, before, the is, before Israel budded, they weren't a nation yet, and they'd been under the Holocaust, and 6.1 million of them, wasn't that, that right? Had been slaughtered. You guys have this slide? Look at uh, in 1945, 1946, around that time, look at the state of Israel, the, the picture of the kids in the camp. You guys have that? Now look at them. Do they look like they have hope? They look like they have hope to me. Do they look like nothing but dry bones? Everyone say dry bones. These are probably pretty healthy. They can at least stand. I could have showed you many more gruesome photos. I figured I didn't. I've got young people here. But in Ezekiel 37, God told the prophet, See these bones? Can these bones live? Israel has not lived as a nation for 1948 years. And the prophet Ezekiel says, to a desolate, dead wasteland, there is no Israel. There is no Hebrew nation. Can these bones live? He said, prophesy to these bones. That God would breathe life into them. And then in 1948, the United Nations passed a law along with the American president declaring the nation of Israel an entity once more. Israel was born again in a day. In that day, Israel budded. Amen. Now I know, listen, my dad was born in 43. I wasn't born until 72, so it seems like ancient history. But listen to me, this is not that long ago. One of the greatest prophetic fulfillments about the last day, Jesus said, when you see the fig tree bud, what did he say? That generation that sees the fig tree bud and begin to sprout leaves and begin to be prospering in the land, that generation will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Do you know how long? We know that a generation in this instance can't be 40 because we'd be long past the clock. But if a generation, if Psalm 90 accurately articulates a generation as 70, or if by reason of strength, 80 years. Right now, today, in 2020, we are 72 years from 1948. Come on, we got eight years left at the max. I'm not setting dates, I'm just saying, if that generation, if you want to apply the 70, 80 generation, how close are we? Come on, you guys, we are just... He's at the door. He's at the door. I might as well just run and get this out of my system so I could stand still a second. So in 1948, the fig tree bud, one of the greatest fulfillments of your Bible. You ought to have great confidence in your Bible. That is miraculous. That has never happened before in all of human history. And you know, from the day they declared it, uh, all of the Jewish, all of the Muslim nations declared war on them that day, said, we're going to drive them into the sea right now. Right. They, they have no army. They have nothing. 
nothing. How did they survive? God fought for them. I don't have time to tell you, but all the scriptures in the Old Testament says once you see Israel back in the land, no one will uproot that tree. It will grow. It will thrive. I will re... This is another prophetic miracle. 1917, there's 150,000 Jews living in, in the land. Today, there are 8.3 million. There's a huge surge of American Jews leaving the United States for Israel. By the end of 2021, they estimate 90,000 Americans of Jewish descent will leave here, and I'd be leaving here too, based on what's going on, based on their mentality, and they're going back to the land. The Bible talks about a regathering in the last days just before Messiah that would far outweigh an eclipse the exodus of Egypt. In fact, there's a prophecy that says, in this day no more will you say that we are the generation that, that God is a God that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They won't say that anymore. They'll say God is the God that brought us out of the four corners of the world. Yes. Back to our land. Amen. What happened in America in 1948? Brother Hagin... Brother Hagin prophesied that at the end of World War II, a healing revival would break out in America. You know when that healing revival started? 1948. With every, see, he said, look at the fig tree. You want to know what God's up to? You want to know what God time clock's on? He said, you look at Jerusalem, you look at Israel. And uh, let me skip ahead. The charismatic renewal. The charismatic, what we know about the charismatic renewal. You know when that started? 1967. 1967. You know what happened in Israel in 1967? Six-day war. Six-day war happened. You think that's a coincidence? Significant day in the history and the prophetic fulfillment of the nation of Israel. The church has revival. <laughs> Mark Twain, I, I think I said it was somebody else, but Mark Twain in uh, 1898 went to the land of Israel and said this is a desperate, God-forsaken wasteland. But the Bible says in the last days right before Messiah come that he would plant trees in the desert. Do you know that Israel has planted 240 million trees? Million trees in the desert. <laughs> I'm just going to have to throw some of this stuff at you because time's getting away and I'm just going to throw it at you and let you have it. But... I'm talking about some things that are, that are totally recent. Totally recent. Recent digs in Israel, I guess maybe we'll get to see them. Ritual bath locations where the priests and the people that were coming to the temple would have to take a cleansing ritual bath before they could make their sacrifice approach the temple. These have been uh, recently ex excavated and discovered. They have been empty, no water for 2,000 years. Massive rains come to Israel in the last two weeks. First time in 2,000 years, the ritual baths are full of water around the Temple Mount. God is preparing. The Bible says in the Old Testament that in the last days right before Messiah comes, God will cause the desert to bloom like a rose. I've been there in 2006. I've seen it. I told you last week, 90% of Europe's produce comes out of the deserts of Israel, a country no bigger than the size of New Jersey. What would we say about New Jersey's dirt if they fed the entire, you know, half of the country? A continent. You've got some good dirt over there. See, God is blessing. God is blessing the land. I read about a, he's a, a kind of a mystic and a, a, an active rabbi, Jewish rabbi over there today, and he's recently prophesied that when Messiah comes, Galilee shall be full. Well, Galilee is overflowing because of unheard of amounts of rainfall. I could go on and on and on. You've heard about the blood moons. Well, the blood moons, let me tell you about these blood moons. Obviously, it's a lunar eclipse, right? And it, makes the, it gives the moon the appearance of blood. Well, let me give you the history of the blood moon. A blood moon, the first tetrad, a tetrad is four blood moons happened on uh, Jewish feast days, the feast days of Passover and Tabernacles. 
two years in a row, so that'd be four. And they call that a tetrad. So a very rare blood moon that happens in Israel, right, on, on Passover and on Tabernacles. And that happens twice in a row. The lat, one of the times that that happened in Israel's history was the time of Noah's flood. The next time it happened was when uh, Israel entered into Egypt, Jacob's descendants. Another happened when Jacob died and prophesied the coming of David and our future. Uh, it happened exactly when David became king, the head of Tetrad. A, a special Hanukkah Tetrad exactly on 168 B.C., which is the abomination that causes desolation. More recently, just before the discovery of America, there was a Tetrad. Do you know when the most recent ones happened? A Tetrad happened in 1948. In 1948, a tetrad happened. A blood moon on Passover and a blood moon on Tabernacles. What's Passover mean? I, die for, I died for you. What does tab Tabernacles mean? I'm coming again. <laughs> so a blood moon on Passover says, I died for you, world. And a blood moon on Tabernacles says, I'm coming again, world. So for two years in a row, you got these cosmic events happening on specific Jewish feast days. God is telling, trying to tell the whole world, I died for you and I'm coming again. I died for you and I'm coming again. Yeah. Amen. Woo! How cool is he? So after 1948, it didn't happen again. It didn't happen again until guess what year? 1967. The year Jerusalem got back into the hands of the Jews. Happened again. I died for you. I'm coming again. And you know just recently, just in the last few years, they happened again, twice. Passover. God is trying to tell this generation, all the world. He's not wanting to shock and see. He wants everybody to be ready. He wants everybody to know. He says, I died for you. The blood's shining red, the blood of Jesus. I died for you. I paid the price. I'm coming again. Isn't that cool? You know, the Dead Sea's being reborn. There's freshwater fish. They showed up last year, 2019. Freshwater fish in freshwater pools right around the Dead Sea. Prophesied in Scripture. Maybe I'll give you this last one. I didn't know this until yesterday. So cool. That uh, in recent years, 500 new species of predatory birds have appeared in Israel. Every year, they say, a new species of bird is, appears in Israel. He said, uh, he said, Israel is the premier bird-watching spot on the planet today. Why is God gathering the birds? Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Jesus speaks from heaven about His impending return in the battle of Armageddon. He said, behold, the fowls of the air will be gathered together. Come eat the flesh of kings of men small and great. The cleanup crew after this battle of Armageddon is already in the land. Come on. And if you're out there thinking to yourself, I wonder if he's really coming back. I mean, come on. What's the point? What's the point? Jesus said, behold the fig tree. And he said, when you see the fig tree bud, and begin to bloom and blossom. And I just scratched the surface of all the prophetic signs that are happening not thousands of years ago. We're talking about things that have happened in our lifetime. Miraculous, supernatural, mind-boggling things. That if you're paying attention, Jesus is saying, I died for you and I'm coming back. I died for you and I'm at the door. It's been 72 years since 1948. Barbara, are you going to stick around? Come on, stick around and with us on planet Earth. Amen. You were born May 14th, 1940. Oh! You are almost a prophetic wonder. Come on. Brother Richard, could I, could I ask you what year you were born, sir? 1940. You going to stick around and see this thing come to pass? Come on. How about you, Brother Ken? Going to stick around? 1951. See, I'm just a baby. 1972. Come on, I'm encouraging you to stick around on planet Earth. It's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be awesome.
Because Moses might come up to you in heaven and go, tell me, tell me what that was like. Tell me what that was like to be raptured. I would really like to know. And you're like, oh, no, no, I have questions for you, sir. <laughs> Come on, there's only going to be one generation on planet Earth. Amen. My point to you and to you out there is, are you ready to meet the King? Amen. Are you ready to meet the King? Are you ready to meet the King? Are you ready to meet the King? Does there need to be some tweaking in your priorities? Because when he does appear, what do you want him to find you doing? What do you want him to find you doing? I hope he doesn't find you in the bottom of a glass. Or in the bed of someone you ought not be with. Or watching images that you ought not be watching. Or that you're just too busy. Let's, let's close. You afford me this one thing? I thank you. It is Father's Day. Luke 21. Let's go back where we started. Jesus gives a warning to those of us who are seeing these things and we know these things and we're now looking for these things. He gives us a warning. It just came up in my heart. I want to share it with you as we go. Is God mad? No, He's not mad. Come on, but He's given us all some understanding to give us a, an encouragement to get our lives where they need to be. Amen. Amen. So, in verse 33, that's where we left off. Let's keep, uh, pick back up in verse 34. But take heed, what? To yourselves. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Jesus said it doesn't have to be a rioting party spirit that trips you up. It doesn't have to be drunkenness that trips you up. It could just simply be the cares of this life. The things you've got to do. Listen, if you're too busy to serve God in this hour, you are too busy. You are too busy. You need to cut the dead weight off of your life. You need to lighten up and run faster. Need to get focused. Need to get your life on course. Amen. He said, don't let the cares of this life weigh your heart down that that day come on you unexpectedly. You won't be able to say that Pastor Chris didn't warn you. You won't be able to say, I'll be able to stand and say, Jesus, I told them. I, maybe not, maybe very imperfectly, but I did my best. They partied, they had a good time on Saturday, they went and shopped, they did what, and I stayed in my office, and I studied all day to have this prepared, and I told them. Right? I told them. For it will come as a...